If you have a Bible, Titus chapter 2, please, Titus chapter number 2. And I'm going to do my best to, to preach as fast as I can. I think I can talk faster here, if I remember to, than I do in the Philippines. I usually have to slow it down just a little bit there because English is not their first language. But I preach in English, and, and they, they get most of it. Uh, surprisingly, they get more than I would think that they do. I've had people come to our church in the Philippines, and they walk in, and they realize there's an American that's going to be talking. And immediately, they just think, I'm not going to understand anything. And they'll stay, and they'll listen. And then afterward, they're surprised how much they actually understood. And uh, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or if I have the gift of tongues. I'm not sure. But, but they understand more than they expect to. And those who stick around a while, they, they, they understand more and more. And so Titus chapter 2, let's all stand together, please, for the reading of the Word of God. I believe that's your custom here. It's, it was when I was here before, so let's do that tonight. And if you'll just follow along in your Bible, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1. Titus chapter 2 at verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your word that we can have direction in our lives, how we ought to live in this present world. Help us tonight as we come to your word. Holy Spirit, would you use me to be a help and a blessing to those who've come to hear your word this evening, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. I'm not nervous. I just get dry mouth. I mean, <laughs> the passage this evening, Paul's writing to Titus, and he is giving him some, some things that he is, is to do. It's a pastoral epistle, and he's teaching him and preparing him and guiding him. In verse 1, he tells Titus, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. To speak the things that become sound doctrine. Doctrine. It's expected that a pastor like Titus would speak. That's one of the main jobs of us preachers is to teach and to speak to people, whether it's in the home or on the street or from behind the pulpit. But he says to him that he's to speak, but he's to be careful in his speaking to make sure 
that he includes in his speaking sound doctrine. It's something that is required of preachers, that we teach and we preach sound doctrine. He was to be sure to include it. Now, if something is becoming, that word there, that, that which becometh sound doctrine, if something is becoming, it means that it is fitting or it is appropriate or it lends itself uh, to a purpose or to a cause, right? If something is be, it becometh sound doctrine, it means that the words that he speaks should lend themselves or be appropriate or fitting with what is sound doctrine. Now, the word sound in our Bible here just means that it's something that is whole or healthy, you can be sound of mind or sound of body. It's talking about your, your overall health, that you are what you're supposed to be. You're complete. And, of course, doctrine, we understand that word, is teaching. It's the body of knowledge or it's the, the body of truth. The things that we teach that need to be taught is doctrine. And so Paul, writing to Titus, says, Titus, make sure that you're speaking the things that become or that, that are appropriate or fit with sound doctrine. Good teaching, healthy teaching. And I want you to understand tonight, and I want to kind of point out uh, to the church tonight that it's appointed to pastors to teach the church sound doctrine. And sound doctrine goes beyond just the fundamentals of the faith. I want you to hear me tonight. I, I, I notice a trend, and it just seems like we want to put pastors in a box that all they're supposed to do is get up and just read the Bible. And I want you to understand tonight that Paul told Titus, uh, there's some sound doctrine, some good teaching that it's expected that you give to the church. And I want you to see tonight in the passage here in Titus chapter 2, he doesn't mention the blood of Christ. He's not saying to teach sound doctrine. He's not talking about the resurrection, heaven, hell. That's not the focus of the passage here that we're looking at tonight. Now, certainly, the major Bible doctrines, all of those, if they're taught properly, would be a part of sound doctrine. And they're necessary. And they're, 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 they ought to be preeminent in the church that we are teaching those things, especially that deal with Christ. But it's not limited. A pastor's teaching is not limited to only those things. God has given him some liberty to teach more than that. In fact, if you look at the, the chapter here, Titus chapter 2, what Paul is going to tell Titus to teach, much of this has to do with behavior. Not, the, not theology, but how we are to behave, how we are to live as believers. And I'm going to be, move along quickly here tonight because of the time, because I want to get somewhere. I'm going to lay just a, a long introduction here, a very simple truth tonight. But sound doctrine, teaching, wholesome teaching that is worth passing on is a job of a pastor. And he's going to gain that wisdom through generations before him. He's going to gain that through his personal Bible study and the, and the speaking to him about, by the Holy Spirit of God as he studies and prays and prepares and counsels. But he's going to gain wisdom that's just good teaching that needs to be passed on. And we need it. Now, if a pastor is instructed to teach sound doctrine, what do you think your responsibility is as a church member? Would God tell your pastor to teach you sound doctrine if he did not expect you to follow it? Come on, church. We, our theme in our church this year is singing, shouting, soul winning. 
And I said, we, 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 they love to sing. Filipinos love to sing. And, and, we, we, and so I'm trying to introduce, I love what Pastor Wilkerson does here with the choruses. And, and we're trying to implement a little bit more of that into our services as well. And, uh, of course, soul winning. We're, our folks are on fire for soul winning. We're, 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 that's not a problem. And uh, we're, we'll just keep increasing that. But I, I also, we, we, we got to shout. we got to learn how to shout as well. It's all right to shout. Amen? Some of you got it. All right. Now I forgot where I was. Here we go. Hey, but church, listen, if the pastor, if your pastor is instructed to teach you, then that, by, by default, there's a responsibility on your part to listen to the teaching and not just let it go in one ear and out the other, but your responsibility is to accept that teaching. God gives you leaders to lead you, to follow. And what we need a revival of it. I, I, I sense there's such an animosity now that some people, and I don't think it's here, so I, I, I've, I've said to several people since I've been here the last week and a half now, at, uh, and I was, it's been four years since I was back here last night, I said, you know, the Spirit's better now than it was four years ago. I believe that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what God's doing here in the ministry. But I, I sense there's some places just animosity, this wall that's been built up between people and pastor. And the pastor's always under scrutiny. Folks, that's not why God gives us a pastor. We've got to be one if we're going to get the job done that God has for us to do. We need to re recognize our role. Now, I'm going to get off base here if I'm not careful. D don't waste your whole life trying to figure out if you believe what your preacher's preaching or not. You'll get to the end of your life and you won't believe anything. You'll not have any change in your life. And take the defenses down. Trust God. Trust God. I was teaching this passage in a series in our church. I uh, titled What a Pastor is Supposed to Teach His People. And took several, several uh, evenings to teach on, out of this passage here and took the time to teach our, our people what the pastor is supposed to teach the older men in the church and what a pastor is supposed to teach the older women in the church and, and what the older women are supposed to help the pastor to teach to the younger women in the church. And uh, we went through and, and uh, talked about all those night after night. And I don't have time, of course, to go into all of those tonight or focus on all of those. But uh, I do want to focus on where Paul comes to the young men. Now, if you were to go through the passage here, you would see that when he says, Now, Titus, you're going to speak the things which become sound doctrine. Now, to the elder men of the church, teach these things. There's a list. And when he comes to the elder women of the church, he says, I want you to teach these things. And there's a list of things. And he even gives a pretty lengthy list of what the older women are supposed to help to teach to the younger women. But if you look back at your Bible, verse number 6, he says this, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, period. And I thought, what a short list for the young men. To the older men, there was a longer list of things to teach. To the older women, there was a lengthier thing, a list of things to teach. And to the, to the young women, there's a lot to teach. But when it comes to the young men, he just says, likewise, exhort or, or teach them or encourage them to be sober-minded, which is something the older men were supposed to be and the older women were supposed to be and the younger women were supposed to be as well, sober why did Paul give what seems such a short list to the young men compared to everyone else in the church? And I would love for the young men who are here tonight, and you don't know me, and I've been gone longer than some of you maybe been in church, or, or you're newer here, and you don't know me. Maybe you've seen our family picture. You may have heard our name. You may know my, well, some of my children. But I'd love for you young men, if you would just give me a hearing tonight and 
trust that your pastor allowed me to speak to you, I guess because he trusts me enough to put me here. He knows these guys will walk me off the platform if I say something I shouldn't. But a few young men would just hear me tonight, and of course, parents, you as well, I, I would love for you just to, to, to hear this. It's a very simple thing tonight, and nothing you haven't heard before, I'm sure, but I just want to help you tonight. Being sober-minded, of course, is being serious in our thoughts. It's, it's being awake, being alert. The Bible tells us to walk circumspectly, to walk with your eyes open, paying attention to what's going on around you. We have to be aware. And young men, you need to be sober-minded. And, of course, that's one of the things, or the, the thing on the list that Paul gave Titus concerning young men. But still, I wonder, why such a, a short list? Now, young men, if, if I could for just a moment, you know, the modern culture that we live in has created what they call adolescence. It's not in the Bible. If you understood God's plan is that you'd be a child and then you'd become a man. Yes, there's a step in between, but you're not supposed to get stuck in that step. You're supposed to go from childhood to manhood. And what the world has done is carved out this little segment in between and put all the focus there. And, and the clothing is dedicated for there, and the music, and the advertising. It, it's all for that what's supposed to be just a step from childhood to manhood, but we've, we've cut out this little segment of time, and it keeps expanding. And it's killing us. Boy, I'm thankful. Youth conference, that was wonderful. I didn't get to hear all of it yet. I hope I can go back and listen to all the messages. But what I did get to hear, phenomenal. You young men, go back and hear Brother Ross's sermon that first night, I think it was. You ought to listen to that over and over again. Oh, I was out, I, I wasn't in the, I was out there in the van sitting there waiting for our children to come out. I thought 9 o'clock, you know, 11 o'clock. And uh, but listening, and I'm just amen and Brother Ross, what a wonderful truth, and, and I hope you got it. And, of course, Brother Judah, the way, the way it was closed out, it was wonderful. And I, I wish I could have heard all the rest, but I'm for it. We have youth rallies, and we reach young people, and I'm excited for every young person that God calls and every young person that we can salvage from this world and get their hearts turned toward God. But listen, young folks, you're not supposed to get stuck in that age, in that, that, that transition but move from childhood to manhood. We've turned it into a phase of life that it should not be. And we cater to it far too much. And we're very clear, you are either a child or an adult. And if you're not an adult, you're still a child. If you're acting like a child, don't expect anyone to treat you differently than a child. You can't demand respect that a man deserves or a man should have if you're still childish. And so Paul says, Titus, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Tell them to grow up, get serious, to stop being foolish. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. It's time to grow up. Now, I don't care how tall you are. I don't care what grade you're in. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you stop shopping in the boys' section and now you get your clothes out of the men's section. If you still act like a child and think like a child, you're a child. I came to make friends tonight. All right. Paul said as much. Don't turn there. But if I could, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, he said, But when that which is perfect is come, the word perfect means fully mature, 
When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You want to be looked at as a man, young man, and put away the childish things. We need some sober-minded men. Until you're perfect, matured, into adulthood, you're still a child. If you want the respect, then, then get sober-minded. Now, that's the first thing that Paul says to Titus. But again, I want to raise the question tonight, why is the list so short for the young men? Why does he say, hey, teach the older men this much and the older women this much and teach the younger women to be these things, but the young men just sober-minded? I want to show you the answer tonight, and I hope that you'll accept it in the right spirit tonight. But would you look back at Titus chapter 2? If you look at the next verse, verse number 7, Paul switches back to Titus and tells Titus what he is supposed to be what the pastor is supposed to be. Look at verse 7. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Now here's the truth I want you to take away this evening. And, and young men, would you listen? Can I tell you the biggest hindrance to young men becoming men is other young men. The biggest hindrance that some of you young folks are going to have in growing or maturing as you're supposed to is other young men. Hear me, hear me tonight. As long as other young men are your examples, you're going to have a very difficult time becoming a man. Other young men are not meant to be your examples. What was Paul's purpose to say? Tell the young men to be sober-minded. Next verse. Now, Titus, you be a pattern. Pattern to who? Those young men. Those young men need a pattern. And I'll tell you who the pattern is that God has given the local New Testament church for you young men, your pastor. You follow your pastor. And parents, I hope that you would take that and understand what God's plan is for your children and why your children are so privileged to grow up in a church like this, to have a godly pastor. It's so that your children, it's not that, it's not that to replace you fathers, but it's to give them a pattern to follow. This world is desperate for men. They can't even figure out what male and female is. And it's sad if, if we're not showing them. They ought to see it in us. We understand God's design better than anybody else, don't we? For this world is desperate for men, but, but especially for men who will take the gospel of Jesus Christ and preach it and proclaim it. Those men are coming out of Purdue. They're not coming out of Indiana State University. Those men are going to come out of New Testament, Bible-believing, soul-winning churches. The churches have to produce men. We need men. And every young man, can I tell you, God's plan for you is to set your eyes on your pastor as your example. Not other young men. You Bible students, I know most of the Bible students are home for the summer. The faithful stayed behind, right? 
I remember that was my attitude only because I couldn't go home for the summer, but I was more spiritual than those who did, of course. Amen. I, I, some of my children are here, college students now, one's graduated. Two graduated, I'm sorry, two graduated. Great special, Brother Bushy, where are you tonight? Brother Nathan, are you in here still? Did he leave? Far right, there he is. And you had a great spirit. You, were, you handled that well. My daughter coming out just ahead of you. We watched it from afar. Amen. No, but you had a great spirit, and I, I appreciate you. Wonderful, and, and uh, congratulations to you as well and your accomplishment there. But uh, our college, I, mean, I told my children when they came up to college, you're, you're going to college to learn from the teachers, not your dorm mates. Too much dorm room theology messes people up. You're paying to be taught by the faculty of the college and the pastoral staff of the church, not the guy who came here to sit in the, live in the dorm room with you. How many guys get messed up? Why? Because they let people their own age become their example. And that's not the example God gave you. He gave you a pastor. Set your eyes on him. I'm nowhere in my outline now. Let me go. Beyond sober-mindedness. What is the pattern that the pastor, that, that Paul says to Titus, here's the pattern you're supposed to be. This is what the young men need to see and follow in you. Let me, if I can just quickly try to race through these. First was uncorruptness. Uncorruptness. This means purity. Something that is not corrupt is pure. As a pastor, I'm supposed to teach young men in our church I take the responsibility to teach our young men how to keep from corrupting themselves. That's what your pastor does. If you'll follow his example, if you'll pay attention and, and walk as he walks and avoid what he avoids and don't do the things that you know your pastor wouldn't do, don't give yourself permission to do something just because you're not the pastor. He's teaching you by example how to not be corrupted. Follow the example, the pattern that he's given you. Pastor, by his examples, to help you to get where God wants you without becoming defiled along the way. Follow your pastor. Until your pastor's example becomes more important to you than your peer's example, you're not going to become the man that God wants you to become. And I just believe it. You're fortunate to be in a New Testament church because God's looking for men that he can send to this world with the gospel. And I know that God won't call every young man to be a pastor or a missionary, but every young man in this church ought to qualify because God has given you a great example. God does not just give you a pastor to have someone to listen to, but someone to follow. And so first he says uncorruptness or not to, to teach purity and a right way to keep from being defiled. He's a pattern for that. Do what he does to stay pure. Great to listen to the preaching, but follow the example. Number two, gravity. And this has to do with honesty. It has to do with you becoming a man of your word. A man who's respected because he always does what he says he will do. And as a pastor, I'm supposed to teach young men ways to live that allow them to become respected and revered among men. Your pastor will help you to become a man, a respected man. 
Young man, can anybody take you seriously? And again, if we go back to the adolescence where everything's a joke and everything's about fun and play, I have fun. Serving the Lord is fun. It's also many other things, but one of the things it is, is fun. We get to laugh. We also shed a lot of tears. We agonize. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love serving the Lord. And, and there's a, but there's a seriousness about it. Can you be believed? Can you be trusted? Do you, do you always look like you're up to something? I'll talk to our young folks sometime. I can move around, can't I? I, I forget. I'm not used to this. I was preaching in Long Beach, California when we, were, we came into the West Coast, and they wired me up with one of these, and I said, what am I supposed to do with this arm now? Because I'm used to holding a microphone all the time. It's awkward. Stick it in the pocket. All right. And uh, now I forgot why I moved away. Uh, I, I said to our young people sometimes, I, I can walk out from my office, and I can hear their voices in the other room, and it's, you know, it's, I enter into the room, and all of a sudden, Like, carry on. And I know there's just a little bit of nervousness when an authority shows up. They're not up to, up to anything. But I, I, I warn you, you know, sometimes it looks like you're up to wrong. It looks a little suspicious when you have to change the conversation suddenly or stop talking or if you're all huddled around something. And I try to sneak up to see what's on the screen, you know. What are you all doing there? But, you know, you're not earning trust when you look suspicious, when you can't be open about what you're doing and, and, and if you're always having to stop talking when authority shows up. But it's all part of maturing. And, and, but follow the example of your pastor in this area of gravity. Third, sincerity. Sincerity. This means unbroken, that there are no hidden defects, that you are what people see all the way through. What you show on the outside is what you are on the inside. That's sincerity. That you're not covering anything up. You're not trying to appear to be something that you're not. You're not supposed to be living a double life, a church life and a private life. I don't claim to be a great father I think God's blessed us with 10 children, and we're, we're very pleased with how the Lord's using our children. And, and I'm just ecstatic at the compliments that, that we've been given since we've been here. People who, so many who've come up, and, and I don't, don't want to embarrass my, my children, but uh, just so many good things. Now, if you've got some bad things, don't tell me. I don't want to know. But, uh, but, the, but the compliments. And can I just say, we don't claim, I'm not writing any books on it. I have seven more children at home still. But, but if I can say one thing I think that may make a difference in our children's life is, and if you were to ask them, is we're the same at church as we are at home and the same at home as we are at church? We don't play church on the weekend. Mom and dad are the same everywhere, every day. Consistency. And that's what we need. You young men need that, to have sincerity. I'll tell you what hurts is when people find out you're living a double life. That's when people seem to want to fall away or they use it as an excuse to fall away. But you ought to be learning sincerity. And I believe you have a pastor here who is sincere. Learn. 
Copy his example, young man. God doesn't change. James 1.17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And if our God doesn't change, he expects that his children would follow his example. It should be always the same. Always the same. Number four, very quickly tonight, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Very simply put, the language, the words that you use should be good words. Words that would not cause anyone to accuse you of being part of the ungodly crowd. We don't need gangster Christians. We don't need hip-hop Christians. Rapper Christians. Street thug Christians. You should not be getting your vocabulary from the world. Young men, you ought to sound like your pastor. The words you speak ought to be the same words you, you would hear come out of your pastor's mouth. And if your pastor wouldn't talk that way, neither should you. He should be your pattern, young men. Nehemiah, Nehemiah dealt with this issue. And again, don't, just for the sake of time, let me read to you. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. And that kind of pastor wouldn't be accepted today, would he? He got in the parents' faces about what they were letting their children say, and how their children were talking. We just want soft pastors now. Pastors we can control. Oh, church, I beg you. God has given you a wonderful man of God. Follow. He's your pattern. Young men, he's your pattern. Parents, when's the last time you corrected your children for saying something they should not say? It's a constant job to teach them how to speak correctly. To say, yes, ma'am, and... Yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and no, sir. Do we still do that? I get more respect or, or hear that more when I go to a store in the Philippines than I do in most churches now. When's the last time your child said something that shocked you and you asked them where they heard it, where they learned it? I know we're nervous to ask that because sometimes the answer you get is like the nursery or something like that. But this world is desperately in need of godly men. And again, they're not going to come from the world system. They must come from our churches. And again, young men, if you are so fortunate, and you are, and I think sometimes we don't realize how blessed we are. You've grown up in it. One of the things I look at our church when we have invitation time, and our invitations are much longer than yours, I just, 
it, our, the nature there is we have longer services and I can preach longer and, and they, they, they sit there through sometimes 30 minutes of invitation time while people are being dealt with. And I do it because I want them to see people getting saved and, and get, get, give them the idea that you ought to be able to do that. And you wouldn't bother you so much if you were a soul winner too. And, uh, but, but then I get to see people get baptized weekly. And what I worry about is that they get bored with it. And I remind them, hey, this doesn't happen everywhere. Not every church sees people saved and baptized on a weekly basis. I want to understand this is, this is special what God is doing here. If some of you grow up in it and you, it's not spectacular to you anymore, and, and, and I wish that you'd never let it get old. But you are fortunate to be in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, soul-winning, separated Baptist church, and you have an example that God has given you as a pastor for you to follow. And I wish some of you young men would do it. We need more pastors. And we need more missionaries. I've seen more missionaries come off the field since I've been on the field than I've seen go to the field. At least our field. We need more. And this is the hope that they come from our churches. That God has given a pastor to to be an example to the young men. Parents, I'll close here. But you ought to be very careful. I would not let anyone who's a critic of the pastor anywhere near my children. My children need a pastor. And the devil would love to take that away from them. So they don't become like the pattern that God intends for them to follow. Don't you, don't you be friendly towards those who are critical of your pastor and let your children think it's okay, they just are a little different. They're trying to rob your children of the pattern that God's given them. I've got to stop. Thank you, church. We love you. Thank you for your prayers. Come visit us.